Restless Midlifer podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Hi and welcome to episode 71 of the Restless Midlifer podcast and we have a great interview today with um, Gary Horsey who's a friend uh, over the last few years and is an expert on the topic of emotional intelligence and developing that, working with companies and individuals, managers, leaders, coaching around raising our emotional intelligence. Now, for me, this is a key area that I think is really, really important um, because we might be embarking on a particular goal, an emotion, sorry, a, a health goal, something like losing weight, getting fit, that kind of thing. But for me, it's not about the diet. And I often think that as a phrase because um, whilst that might generate thoughts of Lance Armstrong and not about the bike, and clearly it wasn't about the bike, but anyway, that's another story. But the point is, um, it isn't about the diet. Very often what happens is, it's about yes it's about the habits it's making the habits sweatable we do them every day etc etc but it's also about the other side of life the fact that life happens and one aspect that i think we don't appreciate or value enough of, of the impact and the importance of is emotions our um, experience of them our ability to empathize and connect with others so this interview i think with gary is really useful because it helps us to see and frame emotions in a way that perhaps we can we can step away from perhaps some of the fluffier feelings and perceptions around them, misperceptions around feelings they're powerful and important things that have evolved and we need them and actually managing them in a more positive way and 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 allowing them is far, far better and far healthier and far will allow us to stay on track with our goals far more effectively than trying to resist them, deny them, crush them down, shut them out, block them out with alcohol, overwork or whatever else. And that brings me to, I guess, my little thought for today before we get on the interview is how are you, um, how are you in terms of your comfort with emotions? with your emotions not just the positives but the uncomfortable the painful because it perhaps if you are somebody who might have been brought up like like i was brought up to sort of just shut the f up and get on with it you know um and and for me be a man you know the, the kind of a northern bloke type attitude um or whatever you know th those kinds of things we don't see we see emotions negative emotions that we label as negative as problematic and i think one of the challenges is that we need to sort of reframe but learn to become more fearless in the presence of our emotions and i think that phrase i think is useful because we can be afraid of experiencing them and that can actually add to the intensity of things like anxiety and, and negative thinking and negative thinking patterns because we actually actively avoid and how do we get more comfortable with them now I'm not just saying that we go straight out and start trying to, at every moment, experience our emotions. There is a lot of practices. There are practices like mindfulness, which can be useful, um, and just touching base through things like journaling and reflecting and talking about them a little bit more openly can all be really useful things. But sometimes, because of perhaps past trauma, past experience, it may be that we just need an extra, a bit of extra support. So one of the things that is often talked about in mindfulness um, uh, as a practice is that we need to... Um, exercise a bit of guardianship over ourselves. It might be that tapping into our emotions is not the best thing for us at the moment, or if we do, we need some professional support around it. So whilst this topic today is talking about emotions and getting a different, uh, an understanding of them and framing them in a way that I think could be really positive and helpful, it's also useful that in developing that sense of emotional fearlessness, it's kind of the way I, I like to frame it. Sometimes we may need a little bit of support and help. 
Certainly some practices can help us with that, like ref, um, meditation, mindfulness practice, re, um, journaling and reflective practice, talking to somebody, loved one a bit more openly about it, developing our articulation and language for emotion. But anyway, that's my um, two pedas for this week because we're talking about emotions with Gary. Um, great interview and hopefully you get a lot to take away from it. But I guess that question is, how are you with your emotions? How comfortable are you in the presence of your emotions? And what work may there be there that could have a, a knock-on benefit in experiencing the richness of emotions, but also in helping you manage them in a positive way to stay on track, to get on track and stay on track and stay on track with those goals, that re- the things that really matter to you. So anyway, hope you enjoyed the interview. Let me know any thoughts or questions um, at dave at restlessmiddlelifer.com. But take care for now. Hi, Gary. How are you doing? It's uh, great to have you along on the podcast. Um, I've already explained to the listeners what are the, the key reasons why I've asked you on to share to share your expertise. Do you want to tell the listeners a bit about yourself, your background and what your work and focus is? Yeah, I'd love to. And thanks for having me on, Dave. It's, it's a joy to join you again um, and to share some like-minded thoughts. Um, I'm really excited about chatting further and just getting to know things um on your side as well as you know share some ideas together so uh, a a little bit about me well i'm a a training and development specialist for the uh just over 30 years and uh, approaching 20 years as a specialism around emotional intelligence and that's involved coaching with leaders senior leadership teams master classes talks conferences so quite a wide variety really and we also specialize in working with coaches, consultants who want to use emotional intelligence and the EQI assessment um, set of uh, tools with their own client base. So we can certify individuals who want to get um, going with that. How did I get into that? Well, um, part of the fact was that I grew up in a very emotionally dysfunctional family and had a career in engineering well i say a career short career at the start of my career in engineering and that's not renowned for its emotional intelligence and its sort of um, vulnerability and open sharing so so when i um, got married and around the same time was looking at emotional intelligence it, it, it was a real personal learning journey um so i've learned a huge amount and it's a real joy to share that with other people um and see how it can bring value for them individually or in their team fam- in their family often um and also organizationally so is that enough about me that's great we're going and we'll no doubt dig and dig deeper as we go um but yeah i, I, I think it's a good it's a good grounder because I think the key thing is if we start from what does emotional intelligence actually mean, um, I think that's a good place because many of us, many listeners have probably come across it, they've experienced it within the workplace, perhaps, and what have you. And I guess from the podcast perspective, from the listener perspective, the restless midlifer, it's, well, what does that, how does that relate to me? What's this, you know, for me, the emotional connections and connecting with my own emotions in a more positive way is, is my ongoing work at the moment i can think through my emotions but actually managing and experiencing emotions in that that i don't know more visceral way for a one of a better word is the work of my of me at the moment if you like so i guess it's just tapping into that and how does it relate to our personal personal life our goals etc so going back though what is emotional intelligence <laughs> well you could look at the definitions you can read i mean there's there's huge amounts of books that are available on it now i would boil it down into everyday behavior 
It's about how we show up in our self-awareness. It's about our confidence, our motivations. It's about how, how I share things that are important for me, how I assert what's important. It is about how we work interpersonally. Empathy is a key component in there as well. But emotional intelligence also is about decision-making and how we cope in life and how we manage the stresses that life chucks at us. And it is about everyday behavior. And I think because it's got this kind of academic title of emotional intelligence, I think, you know, some, and when you look at the definition, it can, it can sound quite academic, but it is about that. How am I showing up today? And I think adding a, a little thought onto that, that you were sort of uh, talking about there, Dave, around the emotional functioning bit. Quite often when, when I'm working with leaders, they think they're thinking beings who feel sometimes. Right. And of course, the truth is we're emotional beings, we're human beings who feel and we think. And in fact, those two elements are intrinsically intertwined. So when we think something, we actually feel something at the same time and vice versa. When we're feeling something, there's thinking that goes with that. But we often separate them out and say, well, I'm just doing a task today. And there's no feeling in that. There's no emotional influence on that. But of course, if I've had a row with my darling beloved in the morning, that is going to affect my focus, how I approach things. So I, th I think that's the two ways that I would describe it. Everyday strength and thinking and feeling together. I like the way I like the way you phrase that because I can I can resonate um, in that. I think coping through life. You know, we we all have our experiences and upbringing, um, and I've talked about mine in the past. Um, but as a result of you know childhood experiences, upbringing, feelings of you know low self esteem, that kind of thing, you adapt and learn ways of coping and getting through. And sometimes those coping ways, well, they help you get through, but they're not necessarily the most sustainably or positive, or really they're not necessarily going to make you happy. They help you survive, yeah. you know, in that sense. And for me, it was also about shutting down, shutting out, closing down the emotional side. Yeah. So as a result, becoming very detached. And I don't mean that in a psychopathic or, you know, that kind of a way, but <laughs> being, being very skilled, I don't know if that's the right word, at keeping that down and rationalizing, thinking through and operating from the, the, the thinking side of things and not realize, you're absolutely right, that the emotions are still happening, they're going on, yeah. but they're kind of almost separate in a, in a container. I, I, it's a difficult way to, to conceptualize it, but I recognize that. So is that something, I guess, when you talk about leaders and, and thinking and they, they feel occasionally, et cetera, is, in terms of the emotional intelligence, is that what the intelligence side is about? It's about tapping into that awareness around that all. Yeah, it is. Uh, so emotional self-awareness is a key component with emotional intelligence. And I think for any human, self-awareness is a lifelong journey that we never get mm. to the end of. I'm learning a huge amount at the minute and loving it. Um, and the, the emotional self-awareness bit is awareness of what's going on for me. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling it? What influence is it having? Um, there, there can be a, uh, an element of managing it, but there's certainly, you know, um, we shouldn't be suppressing it mm. or excluding it or ignoring it because we can't really. It will, it will manifest itself 
either later in a more um, explosive or reactive way, which we all experience. You know, we get home after a busy day, somebody says something very simple to us and we blow up at them. And we might not have that awareness of actually I've I felt a lot of stuff today and I've not I've not thought through any of those elements. Um so I think that that um that awareness element is really important. And of course, for any of us, if we're not aware of what's going on for us, then we're going to be less able to tune into and be aware of what's going on for others. So empathy becomes a problem. How I care and consider others becomes less functioning and therefore I might not be caring and considering um, and might handle people more roughly and we do see that a lot with leaders um, with that but the other side of it for humans is that there are of course a lot of people haven't had the upbringing that I was talking about where I was emotionally dysfunctional and they are emotionally functional so they can read what's going on for others and if you can't read what's going on for you and others can well, that puts us at a disadvantage because not, not in a manipulative way, but they can see that clearly something isn't right. And if I'm not managing or processing that in a good way, that often doesn't lead for great interactions. And, you know, we all know what that experience can be like, especially in home life, I think, you know, in this busy world, high demand world that we live in. I think that's where the brunt of our emotional functioning has its impact often. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned like after a bad day, um, you know, and you come home and it can spill out and what have you. And I think there's also not just the bad day, but there's the cumulative effect over time. You know, I'm speaking of sort of experience in terms of my policing background. You know, it was emotions were not something you talked about or even acknowledged. You know, you'd finish if you had a bad shift. You'd either pop to the pub, have a few beers, laugh, laugh about it. I mean, don't be wrong. I think humor has its place, but it can also be masking a lot. Yeah. That need. But um, you don't process necessarily in the way because it's all, it's kind of treated, it's not even treated, it's just pushed out the way, you know, and you kind of move on. And I think that cumulative effect of these things building up unprocessed can start to add the pressure inside, you know, over time. So you feel like you're dealing with it. You feel like you're managing it. It's okay, I'm fine. I'll move on. I'm dealing it's It's there. Yeah. It's done. But actually, it's not. No. And there's growing evidence and science around this. You know, there's there's a lot we can read and research on it. One of our clients actually is uh, Gloucester Police, and we they they have a very um, uh, a very new and update uh, updated way that they're developing the leadership within the organisation, and it's called um, supportive leadership. Mm-hmm. And they're engaging with that um, the human element, the health and well being. Um, and emotional intelligence in there as well. Because you're right, especially in that context where it, it, it can be emotionally very demanding, although it has to be almost separated out because of the demand of the situation. But in any walk of life, we have those days. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it is costly. And of course, we know long term, like you're talking about, Dave, and your area of specialism is, it starts to have a physiological impact on us. You know, we know that the the costly hormones that can build up in the body that can eventually make us ill, yeah, uh, in a serious way. So when we talk about health and well being and looking after ourselves, I think emotional intelligence plays into that as well. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, and I think I think you're right because the, the you know there is the mind body link, and there was you know a time when that was scoffed at, but I mean now it's proven this you know the, the, just the, the the feedback loops and what have you within our physiology and psychology, emotional, all that kind of thing, um, and I think. One of the things that I find is, and, and you're right, it's not just particular professions might be good examples to illustrate the point, but this is a human thing that we can, many of us can operate as if, you know, our body is simply a vehicle for shift, getting our head about, you know, a brain about to meet and not to the job or whatever. Mm. And actually we're more than that. We're a physical, emotional, psychological creature. Yes. And we have to honor that, but it's easy to say. Um, and I think this is where, this is where from the restless midlife, the midlife point of view is that for many of us, we, you know, we have that upbringing. We're getting through those late teens, early 20s. We start to move into 30s. And we've crafted a life based on coping strategies. Some of them positive, some of them not so positive. But we've got through and we've lived almost with that emotional side. Not This is not everybody, but I think it's a significant mm-hmm. proportion. The emotional side is on hold because, you know, I need to build this life the way I've been led to believe is the right way. Build a career, business, family, whatever. And we forget that there is a key and important part, not just our desires and goals, but our emotional health and well-being in that. Mm. And almost park that because we'll sort that out when we get there, you know? Yeah. And I think there's a point where you get in that midlife where suddenly you turn around and go, hang on a minute. The is this it question. But also it seems to me that the emotions are what starts that journey, the signaling, the the discomfort uncomfortable feelings that surface something you know but if there's a yeah. question in there just yeah, yeah. well i absolutely get what you're describing there dave and I, I would use this metaphor this image to articulate i think um what you're talking about i often use it in the talks and and some of the work that i do um and i remember one day uh, and i was traveling to london on the train and like most people when you're traveling to london your head's down you're taking the two hours that you've got spare to work and you're just busy. And and when you look up in the carriage, you know, there's just this woof, woof of, of life going by in the peripheral of your vision. But then at the end of the day, when you're traveling home, I often take a moment and just look out the window and suddenly you're inspired or awestruck by the beauty of the British countryside. And, um, and I, you know, I'm probably like a lot of people, quite nosy. When you're going through a town, you're looking in people's gardens, going, "Oh, that looks an interesting place to be." Um, and and I think that's a good metaphor for how life can be. We're on this track. We've got this idea of, and life can be really passing us by. But practicing not only emotional intelligence, mindfulness, as you've talked about, our whole being being present we we should be turning to look at the view much more turning to look and being present with the people that we work with because that emotional connection is what you know makes us tick but it also tops us up um we we work in county durham with a um the future business magnets program which is a a a program for school kids and they've done a high. They've done a, a a digital version of it this year. And I was chatting with one of the um, organisers today, and they they've done most of the program digitally. And they wanted to do an award ceremony, and they weren't sure about offering it out to them in case you know the schools weren't sure about coming back together. And they almost pulled their arms off. We want to be back together. 
we want to be back interacting. We need that space of creativity and wonder. And I think, I think, you know, your work, which I think is absolutely vital, even more so in today's environment, because we've all been working so hard. Yeah. And I, I love that, that visual of the train, because you're right, because, you know, you can be so down, head down doing Mm. And less of the being, you know, that cliche of being a human doing rather than human being. But I think, is this where the emotions are potentially, and I don't want to diminish them in, in their value and importance, but they're also signal. Yeah. Oi, <laughs> there's yes. something here. Look out the window, notice, or yeah. pay attention to this, or this is an issue. This is something you really want or don't want, you know. It, it, <laughs> You know, that's that's one of the ways I try to, for me, to reframe emotions, to start to get that connection back with them, you know. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I completely resonate with what you're describing there. And this is where we're often less practised. So we are better at the doing bit, aren't we? All yeah. of us are. We, you know, we spend hours practising the task, the what we've got to do, and all the data that goes with that, you know, research, uh, reports, books, whatever it is, and we gather that knowledge and information and we, we get the understanding and we work hard with that. Where we're less practice is on the human data, the emotional functioning, the physiological, the spiritual, all of those elements. And that's where emotional intelligence and our emotional functioning lives. Mm. And, and I think you're right. Emotions are not just signals, Dave. They indicate something. So they might be indicating that somebody in this meeting is using very threatening language. And I'm feeling not just uncomfortable, but really distressed about this situation. How do I deal with it? How do I cope with that? Firstly, I've got to work through what does that actually mean for me and then work out, do I, do I need to articulate this to the other person and open up a conversation? Or do I stay closed, live with that threat, and that damages that trust relationship. Um, and so using that human data is, is hugely important. And, and I think the other thing, if you want to go even deeper, Dave, is it indicates something, it signals something, but there's also deep messages of life. You know, if we think about those that we love the most, what we talk about is our feeling of love. You know, that deep resonance that really shifts us. Uh, you know, if I, my kids are now 21 and 18. If I, you know, my daughter loves watching the kid videos of when she was like five, six, seven. Well, they move me so much now because I'm so emotionally connected to them. Um, but we can miss that if we're not careful. That human information can be missed. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a couple of things that are just that have hit us there. And I think to pick them out, firstly, I'll deal with the, the smaller thing, hopefully discrete, and then get on to that bigger picture that you were talking about there, because I think that's really important. But you talk about that that feeling in the meeting. And I think that you can draw that out to lots of experiences. And maybe people can resonate with this, you know, that, that thing where somebody said something or, you know, and you haven't responded, you haven't dealt with it, and you wish you had, and you carry it around. Oh, yeah. And and this this is this is the challenge because if you are detached and you kind of convince yourself, rationalize yourself, oh, it doesn't matter, it's not important, et cetera, it's still there. Yeah. And weeks later, I, used to, I joke about this when I do some of the dealing with difficult people stuff or interaction stuff is, you know, are you the kind of person who 
three weeks later think of the perfect response for that situation, you know, because I, I'm definitely more of that, you know, more like less reactive in that sense. But then you carry it around. Yeah. And that's where the damage and the corrosion could take place. So being a little, being a little bit more aware of it, and I'll, I'll ask about approaches or practices to help with that in due course. But being a little bit more aware can help you tap in so that you can get more in the moment to respond. Mm. But you said there about, you know, noticing things, the emotions, the deeper thing. I think this resonates with midlifers as well because there's this, this, this dawning. You look back at photographs and you think, I can remember that. Mm. And it brings a lovely smile and feeling to you. To you, mm. to you. But it was like I missed it <laughs> at the time mm. sometimes. Mm. And then you start to think, hang on a minute, how many – there's more years behind me than in front. You know, there's a, that's a real awakener, I think, for many of us when we start thinking, if I carry on this way, I'm going to sleepwalk through the rest of it. You know, and I think emotions is that almost awakening. I'm, you know, you know, it's an awakening to your emotions that perhaps you put on hold for too long. Yeah, I think all too quickly we can't compartmentalise them. Um, and really, I liked what you said earlier, Dave, about noticing. Mm. I think practicing noticing is really important. Now, emotions and feeling is passing information. So it's almost like a sky. It changes all the time. I mean, goodness, aren't we experiencing that in the UK in June? We're supposed to have a flaming June, and the other day it was like 10 degrees. It was grey yeah. and overcast. Then the sun comes out, and that's like our emotions. You know, they're, they're, they're passing through sometimes really inside us and sometimes near us. So it depends on how deep we're feeling them. But it's about how we practice noticing them and what does that mean. And I think, you know, just to build on what you were saying about, you know, that turning something over in your head, playing in those scenarios where we felt attacked or we felt, um, you know, distressed about a situation, whether it's a meeting or a one-to-one -one or something our boss said to us or something we might have said to a colleague that we think might have landed wrong. And we play those scenarios over and over again, different styles, and we get – but the, what we sometimes forget to recognise is that we are emotionally attached to those scenarios. Mm. So we can work ourselves into a – you know, a dark place, just thinking about that stuff. Yeah. And that can be really costly on a, on a long-term side. Yeah. Yeah, because I suppose thinking it with my stress head on, if you like, is that, as you mentioned before, the physiological responses, it takes energy. It takes – Yes. You, you need to respond. So you're carrying it, and that takes effort and energy, you know, the stress – hormones etc are there because it takes effort to just carry it around you know because you're constantly revisiting ruminating denying it pushing it down that still takes a lot of effort it's exhausting well we start having emotional shields like you were talking before yeah. about humor humor can be a great stress release as you know you've got massive experience in that area and i would you know often if i'm feeling a bit weighed down i will actually play some comedy like billy Connolly. Yeah just to lift the whole spirit and the countenance. Um, but the other side of emotional shields are they can actually shield us from what we should be dealing with so we can use it as a shield. So sarcasm is another good shield that we see in everyday life where we'll, we'll, have, a, we'll have a little go at somebody in a humorous way and actually the other person feels it as a barbed comment. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not healthy, but it does cost us a lot emotionally, absolutely.
Yeah, I like that idea of emotional shields. Is it is this is that something that's within the, the emotional intelligence sort of lexicon, if you like, just one better phrase that that they can be useful but also problematic? What's yeah, it's, it's probably come out of some of the work that we've done over the years, and I've done in our coaching work that, um, you know, when we're building self awareness, I think there are there are personas that we might adopt. So sometimes I might be different at work than I might be at home. I'm much freer and easier at home. There's more love and trust relationships. And um, and so that means I, you know, I let myself go a bit more. So I can, sometimes I'm a bit harsher at home than I might be a bit more, you know, careful, um, politically correct. You know, we're, we're tempering around you know in this environment where we don't want to hurt people's feelings and of course we don't want to but we are tough beings and we should be able to kind of have that bit of debate and give and take and things like that but we do dance around it a little bit but because of these personas we end up starting to shield ourselves with these personas so I put my work face on like you know if I'm meeting a new client for the first time I'll actually put my best suit on yeah, you know, um, we're chatting today. I'm in in jeans, but how brave am I to be that? You know, being me, showing up as me to show up with a new client just in jeans. Yeah. So it's those kind of things. So I think we do shield a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think the necessary. That's what we do in life. You know, different aspects of life require different roles that we play. You know, play dad brother son yes. but, you know all these things but it's knowing that that's what that's what we're doing and hopefully they don't distance too much from the true you you know there's a hopefully there's overlap but let's be right there can be a bit of distance and i can recognize that one of the things i used to do was obviously put my uniform on for the police but it wasn't just putting the uniform physically on i was putting it on psychologically mm. the challenge was times the real me i didn't even know who the real me was but the real me differed from the facade or that that uniform but because you have to play it you, you end up stretching into it yes and then you might physically take the uniform off at the end of the shift but you're psychologically keeping it on yeah you know in terms of you're still in that mold because it's i'm, I'm using air quotes here the dreaded air. it's easier yeah. because there's a detachment there's a you know so I, I, you can almost get lost in your shield don't forget, if you're finding that your health has taken a backseat whilst you work to achieve greatness in other areas of your life, the Reshape Academy, my coaching and programs are here to help you continue to achieve that success with and not at the expense of your health. Find out more at midlifereshape.com. I think you're right. And, you know, humans by you know, by default, we are creatures of comfort. We do, you know, we, we talk about embracing change, but in my experience, people who really embrace change, they're rarer beings. Most of us like, we like what we like and we know what we like. And so when that starts to get shifted or there's risk or threat or aversion or any of those things, those strong feelings, sometimes if we're not practiced at dealing with them, then we don't manage them very effectively and they disrupt us. So rather than having what we would describe as a, forgive the long word, the sinusoidal curve, which is that smooth flow that everyone talks about, 
we end up with it, you know, it's like a roller coaster. It's like, whoa, up, and then, ooh, oh, no, that wasn't good. And, oh, where are we going now? And and it becomes, you know, emotionally draining. Um, mm. I mean, you'll, you'll experience it in your coaching work. At the end of the day, it's conversation and listening and exploring things. But I bet after two or three coaching se- sessions, you are emotionally mm. tired. Yeah. Yeah, and I... And I that's that's the cost cost that, that's the impact of real connection isn't it yeah so and I, I think this is where as you say you can go for the easier option which you know you talk about the roller coaster is try to just flatten it out um and i think that's where in the past that's been a coping strategy just dismiss flatten and flatten out the emotion to yeah. keep on that keel but that takes a lot of effort and denial and alcohol and hard yeah. work and all of these things that we use to to cover it over you know so i think you're right um but real connection takes effort yes but it's where you also get you know the reward that that sense of fulfillment you know all of that that emotional payback as well mm. so yeah okay i guess if i was to pause uh a, Let's say a client, a figurative client for argument's sake, somebody who's in their 40s who's kind of just starting to reconnect, realize there's something unfulfilled. There's a scratch to itch, an itch to scratch, whichever way <laughs> that is. Um, they want to, they know that their life, yeah, they're doing okay. They've got their, you know, they've got the profession, the status, the family, and all that, but they just know there's something missing. They want to improve their health. So get back on that health train mm. and also start up sequels. But they know that there's also whenever they think about it, the emotions stir. Do you have sort of, how, how in terms of emotional management, you talk about awareness being a bit and then noticing, what's yeah. the next stage in terms of managing that? Because we need to obviously more positively manage them in order to get through the other side as well, I guess. Yeah, I think I think one of the key things that we've talked about already is this practice noticing. So, you know, we said at the start, We've got thinking and we've got feeling and they're, they're, they actually happen all at the same time, but we're often focused towards or only interested in or more practiced with the thinking and the doing bit. So, you know, when you think something, practice having that um, reflection around, well, what am I feeling with this thinking? Mm. And starting to engage with uh, the language around emotions. I remember in my own research, that there are over 3,000 emotional descriptors in the English language. Right. Yeah, I know. It blew me away as well. And, and, and when I work with individuals and leaders in developing their emotional intelligence, I'll give them two sides of A4. I've not counted them up, but it, it, it's probably 100 or 150. And I'll say, look, just circle the ones that you either recognize or you resonate with and think that you experience. And I can see them 10 minutes later, they've looked through this list and they've only circled 10 emotions. Yeah. So when we think about our language of emotions, we're often quite um, narrow and shallow in our ability to work with it. Mm. Um, so, so just practice noticing is one thing. And the second thing I would add in is um, around um, when, when, we, when we think about Um, emotional intelligence it's made up of a number of behaviors so self-regard assertiveness empathy I've mentioned a few there I encourage people to get to know those behaviors like they know a close friend so when I see a friend in the distance I actually recognize them over there I can often recognize them just from the back of them not I don't even need to see their face 
right. know what they look like when they stand or when they walk. And then if I walk alongside them, I know in my relationship when it's a very good relationship or when something isn't right, I feel it. But do we know our behavior at that level, what it's called, what it looks like, what it feels like? And am I journeying with it so that I'm getting to know it like a friend? And so I think that's a key element in developing emotional intelligence. I love that. So I'm I'm kind of framing this in the this figurative client or, or mm. potentially case, whatever. Um, and I think so it's getting to know how what you know avoidance might be a behavior you know yes. i know there's i know there's something but i'm just not wanting to confront it so the feelings are that uncomfortable but you're not necessarily connecting with the, the feeling you're connecting with the behavior like uh, starting to notice actually i'm avoiding or i'm i'm drinking alcohol to numb the experience or flatten the emotion or block out yeah. time you know if it's dread or anxiety the, the, so you're saying that those behaviors and avoidance is one example i guess but like that sense of I can't, I can't face that. Is there's a feeling underneath? Absolutely. So to get to know it more closely, the behavior we start to sense that. Is that what you definitely? And the most overused word, I think, when we look at you know um, the work scenarios that we're involved with, is frustrated. I'm frustrated about that. And for me, it's the most meaningless emotional descriptor because my frustration changes moment by moment you know if i go and pay three pounds for a coffee and it's not frothy in the right way i'm frustrated or if i get cut up on the roundabout on the way home that really frustrates me but actually those are two two very different emotional states and i mm -hmm. and so i'm not being clear in what's going on for me and if i'm going to express that then i'm not going to be clear with others if i just mm -hmm. use the word frustrated and I liked what you said earlier, Dave, about the flat line. I mm. think if we have a flat line life, then we're not really getting the very most out of life. Mm. Life is ups and downs. Mm. It is about how we cope with that. You know, we do numb stuff with things like alcohol or overwork or, you know, not engaging with some of these things because they feel hard or difficult. But when we start to practice that stuff, and you'll see this in your work day, when somebody engages with that, for instance, health and well-being, and they start to get physically better, they feel better, they're brighter, it's a whole different experience. Yeah. Yeah, and getting comfortable with the emotions, because it, it strikes me that that avoidance is a behavior or irritability, being snappy at partner, friend, colleague, whatever, you know, those behaviours are symptoms of the un underlying feeling that we're not addressing. And actually, the, there's a, yeah. I'm kind of putting myself in my place, but also when I've talked to people, is there's a fear of confronting the actual uncomfortable or even painful emotion. Yeah. Um, and But actually being aware and getting to know it, you know, that's where that noticing can be useful. But then it brings to mind the mindfulness approach of non-judgmental, you know, don't be judgmental about the emotion, just be present with it type of thing. Is there anything that emotional intelligence can share about that, you know, being comfortable with emotions or? Well, I think as we practice it, we learn to observe them, mm. allow space for them. Yeah. Um, so that they're not, they're not directing us because, Emotions aren't there to lead us somewhere. It's information that we need to use. 
I like what Su- uh, Dr. Susan David says yeah. in her book around emotional agility. She says that emotions are not directives, but it is information. Yeah. So we need to use that information. And you've used um, you've used the word fear there. Well, that has to be for humans. That's that's the ultimate scary emotion, isn't it? Fear. But and if I asked a uh, you know when I ask a room full of leaders who's experienced fear today, very rarely people put their hands up. But if I describe other elements of fear, like anxiety, feeling some distress, um, feeling uncomfortable about something, feel a bit unnerved, then all the hands in the room go up. Yeah, I've experienced that. Well, you've experienced fear. Mm. You know, and that, so some of these emotions can, you know, trigger and spike us. But if we're not able to create some space to kind of go, okay, what, what's going on for me here? Then we end up being led by the emotion. And, and that can, well, we all know that when we're led emotionally and we're not working with it, it can be really costly. That's when we say the stuff that we regret. It's when we hurt people the most. It's, you know, it's when we do the daft stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Susan David's work, um, emotional agility, and I think she has a she conceptualised the way we respond to emotions. There's two kind of ways: the dam and the you know the the just the fast flowing overwhelming river. And I, I love that as a bit of a visual because sometimes we're a bottler, or some of us are more prone to bottle it up or dam it up, and others are we get swept away with it. And it depends, you know, can we be that we can be either of those at any time. But I think that's the challenge, isn't it? Because they are often our defaults if we've learned through life was of upbringing that emotions aren't a good thing, that they're a sign of weakness or that the only way you get what you want is by getting angry or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and I think those are where we develop these coping strategies or communication strategies that just become problematic later on. Yeah. Well, it, you know, the work that, that we both do will use the conscious competence ladder. Yeah. And I, I, I like the simplest you know, metaphors. And it's a bit like learning to drive. My son's learning to drive at the moment. He's 18, you know, so we've done the whole kangaroo car. So it's it's a bit scary as a parent when you actually sat there (laughs) and you haven't got pedals to be able to control that. But anyway, you get past that. But then we move on from, you know, unconscious incompetence to then conscious incompetence. And we move through that, that journey and it's the same with emotional intelligence. At the start, it, it, it we're clunky. It doesn't quite work. But as we work with it, we start to get more fluent with how that works mm. to the point where it actually moves in, in, in some of the work that I describe from an outside theoretical understanding. I understand what this topic is and this concept is to actually it's come inside and I'm living and breathing it mm. and it's enriching my life. I mean, some of the leaders that I work with, I, I have the privilege of, you know, journeying with them sometimes for months, sometimes a year. Sometimes we might have a gap and pick up later. And regularly the feedback they give me is this has helped my home life more than it's helped my work life because I'm showing up better. Yeah. I'm living it better. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a, it's. A, an underappreciated aspect to it. And I love that idea of the driving, you know, you don't know that you don't know, and then you become aware that you don't know. Then yeah. you start to get better. You start to clunky, you get better at it. You get that competence, but then you get unconsciously competent, which is the, you know, you drive the car 
without even thinking about it. Hopefully, no. you're paying attention to the role. But but it, eventually, you embody it and get that connection with your emotions. If we switch to that, you know, you get more comfortable and it becomes more natural. Mm. And I would say, you know, hands up, I'm still that work in progress because of some of the hard ingrained processes. So I guess really to think about just just as a some of the takeaways then for for this because we could I'm conscious of time, but I'm also we could dive into this for hours more because I love this topic. But you mentioned things like obviously awareness and then noticing, observing and, and getting in the habit of just observing the emotion and creating, allowing some space for it. Because I think that's important, isn't it? Because the drive, particularly if fight or flight kicks in, is to respond, to push it down, flight, order, to go with it. And, yeah. So creating some space. Do you know in your coaching and your work, are there any other approaches that you know perhaps the listeners can can pick up, you know, and almost in a self-coaching way, just to to play with? I like to think about playing with these these concepts or tools or anything. Yeah, I think well, you talked about the reactive bit, which we all experience and nobody escapes it. You know, I don't escape it. I, you know, I talk about my journey with emotional intelligence as being my journey with my foot-shaped mouth. <laughs> you know, I started with a size 11 and I'm I'm on about a size four or five, so I can still have some impact, but it's not a size 11. Yeah, <laughs> I like that, yeah. And, and so we're all on that journey, but that, that reactive element is, in emotional intelligence terms, is called impulse control, and we, we're right. learning a lot about that. It's triggered by the amygdala, which is an element of our uh, neurological functioning, and and people will have heard and, and read about that on occasion. So it is an emotional strike, uh, uh, spike in that uh, essence. So taking some time to be able to observe and create space, you know that great quote, but that's attributed to Viktor Frankl, but nobody knows that he actually wrote it. He might have said it, but he, it's not in his writing. And that's between stimulus and mm. our response. There is space. Mm. But what we're not very good at is occupying the space and allowing that time for it. Yeah. Here's the other spin on that, Dave. We're not very tolerant at letting other people be in that space. We want to fix it. So when we're not in a good place, we want to sort it out now. Certainly I do, and I'm forever pushing people to say, let's talk about this, let's get it sorted. But you know what? Sometimes we've got to give some time for people nice. to occupy that space and, and practice being in that space. And I think, I think in this high demand, we need it now, we want it now, society, this is an area we don't practice very much. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the people that I would call more seasoned in life, you know, we've got a bit more grey hair, we might be, you know, thinning at the edges. I don't want to say the older fraternity like me, but you know what I'm talking about here. But, you know, when I meet people like that, they're not pushing so hard often. They're more relaxed about things. They create space. They want to talk about it. And their life experience brings that wisdom with them that they often trust their gut feel because that's emotional functioning. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of opportunity in there. That's interesting, you know, um, the slowing down. It's ironic, isn't it? I think this is something that as midlifers we – you get to a point where you start, uh, there's almost a panicky feeling sometimes. They think, oh my God, you know, how many years have I got? Uh, how many years have I wasted? I've got to sort it out. 
But if you go on the journey, you actually learn that the opposite, the slowing down and be, you know, allowing is actually the antidote. Yeah. And, and but that that is a practice, as you say, it's a skill, it's something to learn. Um, and you talk about that space. One of the things I've learned as a coach, it was the hardest thing, is just to shut up, basically. <laughs> shut, shut, shut me mouth. Yeah, um, and I'm being, yeah, but I'm very much I believe in that, you know, this narrative coaching and letting people tell their stories, but then work through it, articulate themselves, almost self-coach if they talk it out. So Nancy Klein's work, a book, Time to Think, that, that there's the bits where you just allow people to think and slow things down, but just air it themselves or process it is a gift as a coach to somebody. But we can give that to ourselves. You know, we're talking about observing, we're talking about noticing, we're talking about that space, but also allowing you what, what sprung to mind was the phrase just it's okay to not have the answer. Oh, for sure. Dave. Do you know what I mean? It's okay to not have an immediate idea, solution, because I think sometimes the default, especially, you know, I, I grew through policing is, you know, you get there, sort it, fix it, move it, get it sort of detected, whatever, move on. And that becomes your default, right? We need to fix it. There's a problem here, let's sort it. And actually, yes, that works in some circumstances, but not in these, key, I would argue, not in these key crucible type moments in life where you start thinking, hang on a minute, what do I really want? Yeah. It's okay to not know. <laughs> yeah. And is. be okay not knowing for a while if you want, you know? But that thinking that you're describing there, we're going to feel strongly about that. And it's yeah. that that we've got to be engaged with because to create that space, we've got to allow the weather of our emotion to be floating by, be observational, be using that information, but not directed by it. And it does take a little bit of practice, mm. um, you know, and I, and I think, you know, going back to that image of getting to know your emotional intelligence behavior, like, you know, a friend, if something isn't right, you feel it, don't you? Mm. You feel that it's not right. And that's when I think you should, or I think I try and practice occupying that space a bit more. So is it about me? What's going on for me? Is it about what's going on for others? Is it what's going on in the room? What's going on in the situation? Yeah. Um, and all too quickly, I think, yeah, I think that's an absolute gold nugget. I love what you were describing there, Dave, about, you know, um, uh, just getting into that space. Mm. Yeah. See, the questions you said there were none of those que few questions there were about how do I fix this? No. It's about is it? What is it? What? Where? And, yeah. and I think that's a space that many of us can feel uncomfortable in, but that's where the practice comes, isn't it? The practice it around. We're talking about potentially, you know, making some really big decisions in life, not necessarily things that, you know, chuck the grenade into life and, and, and you start again, but actually big significant shifts. You know, I'm going to prioritize my health or I, you know what? I'm working far too hard. I'm going to have to make a few decisions. You know, you can immediately come up with three or four answers, but if you're not, if you haven't given yourself proper space just to sit with it, there might be something else there. Yeah. I think that's the power of it. And yeah. So practice around that, I think is a really important bit. So in terms of it, because I like this, you know, emotions, they're information, they're data, they're giving you something, mm. but then you need to just sift through, work it out, allow that time to see rather than responding straight away. Yes. Um, where am I going with this? I, I think, you know, for the, for the midlifer who's in that position, perhaps feeling a bit panicked because it can feel like the sort of Damocles has started. You know, with that, uh, there is a moment, I think, I, I spoke to so many people now and myself where you suddenly think, oh, three o'clock in the morning, my God, what am I doing? Mm. And they can suddenly feel press, oppressive and very, I've got to sort this out. Mm. But actually just acknowledging that that's there 
could be a real opportunity. Oh, I think it's absolutely massive. And, you know, we, and some of us would fear to go into that opportunity. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's what creates the barrier. Oh, I'm not going to go there. That's too hard. That's too difficult. But I think alongside what you're describing there as well, Dave, when we talk about emotional intelligence, it's about, you know, we want to be our best self. And to be our best self, we've got, we've got to look after me. We've yeah. got to be recovered. We've got to be refreshed. So, you know, sleep is important for that. But also, you know, sometimes just listening to a song in the car and singing at the top of your voice yeah. Yeah. or listening to Billy Connolly, what, you know, an image that sticks with me is when he wore his banana boots. Yeah. you know and and yeah. it makes you laugh so hard you forget and it and the, it's all of that and that's the richness mm. of life and if we're not careful when we do hit those kind of rocky moments of midlife challenge and distress you know we've got that we need that refresh and that inspiration again um to mm. get to get us back on track sometimes yeah yeah, I think that's a, that's a great thought. I, because you're right, emotions can be sweet, they can be joyful, they can be all of those things. And on the opposite, they can be painful, they could be, oh, there's lots there. Yeah. But even in that, there's something about just the life, the richness of life um, in that. There, there was a film, I flew back from America a few weeks ago because we've been to Disney for our delayed honeymoon. Um, and on the way back, I, you're putting on these films, you know, that are in, you know, three o'clock in the UK time or whatever time it was over there. It was a film called Collateral Beauty. And it was a bit cheesy, but the the, the premise, I won't give away the film if anybody wants to watch it, but the premise is the collateral beauty is when you're going through the toughest of times, don't forget to pay attention yeah. and notice the beauty that just seems to be happening as a result of. And that's a very difficult thing depending on the challenge. But I think there's something in that, that there's a richness to life and we're missing something if we don't if we don't connect with the emotion or don't appreciate, become aware of them, start to be, you know, develop that intelligence, which is the phrase, I think, for all of that, isn't it? Just, yeah. just start to connect with them. They're not just an inconvenient no. thing or to be brought out when the good times are there. They're there for, they add the colour of the richness to it. They do. I think you're right. And it is about being intelligent with those emotions, having mm. understanding, having, having an awareness, using that. But, you know, <clears throat> Truthfully, there are no negative emotions. I know we label them like yeah. that. that I, I would describe that as, you know, as we're understanding a new language, we, we, we clunk around it a little bit. But really, you know, some people would say, well, grief, well, that's a very negative emotion. Well, actually, grief can be filled with love mm. and joy, even though it's got pain in it. And you're right, even in those really tough moments that we experience in life, they can be life enriching. Mm. Um, you know, that for me, grief helps me appreciate actually what I've got more now mm. when I know that I've lost somebody that's dear and, and a loved one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I think I get this is, this is the reason why I've asked you on just to explore this because it's something that I've, you know, it's been the journey for the last decade or so, but I'm only really getting to grips with it. And I think really just connecting with the emotions is important and how to do it. So that emotion challenge, mm. that awareness, that observation, I think is really a powerful way. And it's practice, mm. you know, it's practice with it and not being perfect or expecting perfect about it. It's messy. It's all of mm. those things. 
but get connected with them. So I love that. So thank you. Uh, what, what I do want to do, Gary, because I know you're working, uh, obviously you've got your work, but you're also working on a book at the moment. So do you want to just yes to what you're doing at the moment in terms of that and what? Yeah, thank you, Dave. So the book is called EQ Influence and EQ is our measure of emotional intelligence. Right. The assessment that we use is called the EQI. It's the, it's the global gold standard as far as, you know, assessing and measuring our emotional intelligence to use it for personal and professional development. So the EQ bit and and then influence about how does it influence me? How do I use it to influence others? It's that whole influence piece. And, and working a lot with leaders, it's leadership behavior that unlocks extraordinary performance because it's leaders that engage with emotional intelligence often achieve significantly more those that score lower in emotional intelligence and the global studies that have been done over the last 20 years in pretty much every study high eq leaders outperform lower eq leaders all the time pretty much everything so uh, that's the focus and but i'm hoping it's going to be the kind of book that that pretty much anyone could pick up and get some value from because emotional intelligence is about everyday uh, awareness about what's going on for us and how we use that. Yeah, brilliant. Well, what what we'll do, Gary, is obviously share some show in the show notes links, etc. Obviously, the book's in the process of being written, so yeah, it's you know, not there yet. But, yeah, but keep us posted because yes. um, we might get you back on and want, want you know just have a chat about because I, I love these these conversations where we can really get into it. I think the the beauty of this is that something that we've probably heard or many people have heard emotional intelligence as a thing, and unless yes. you've been on a course or a course in it you don't necessarily see, well, what does that actually mean to me as just a human being? Mm. I think that's the, that's where the power is. It's not just a, a, a label or a particular brand or something. It's actually an approach to connecting with what is probably one of the more important parts of our life, isn't it, and, our, Absolutely. and who we are. So thank you very much, Gary. It's uh, it's really great to catch up and uh, share share the our thoughts on this and your particular experiences and tips and tactics. So thanks very much. It's been and an for, absolute joy. Thank you. Cheers, Gary. Thank you. And just for the listeners, uh, you've, as I said, you find all links and, and notes and et cetera in show notes. Um, hop over to uh, restlessmidlifer.com uh, and you will find all of that. And uh, drop us any feedback or thoughts or questions, uh, whether for me or Gary, at dave at restlessmidlifer.com. Take care for now. Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music, which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure.